0: And welcome to episode 102 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. I'm your host, Dr. Richard McKinnon, and I'm joined as ever by my co host, Pilar Ortiz. Pilar, how are you doing today?
1: I am very well. Hello, Richard. Hello, listeners.
0: We're recording on a Monday, which isn't what we normally do, I think, from, yes. from memory. So, yes, an optimistic day with a full week ahead of us, <laughs> <laughs> oh. full of possibilities. <laughs>
1: Yes, yes. I, uh, somebody said to me the other day, they really liked how I turned up and said something singing. And I realized that I sing when I'm a bit nervous or I'm a bit...
0: <laughs> really?
1: <laughs> of, of, yeah, I go, hello, Richard. That means I'm a little bit of balance. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I have never noticed that before. Uh, well, thank you, listeners. Um, so wh- before we dive into the, the main content of today's episode, we got to do some work together and co-facilitated a workshop the other week. You are working with me like that. How was it for you?
1: Oh, it was terrible. No, <laughs> well, wh- I tell you what it was. It was it was for me an extension of not an extension of the podcast because the context and what we were doing was totally different. But even though it was the first time we ran a workshop together. We, of course, already done a couple of webinar style things. And of course, we've been done almost a hundred episodes together. So it didn't feel like we were delivering for the first time, which was really nice Mm. because it was a new new topic that we're exploring all about loneliness in remote teams and specifically helping the managers get their head around it. And I... Well, what really struck me both in the preparation of it and in the delivery of it is how obviously vast the topic is. And I think the reason why it's so vast is because loneliness is experienced so differently by everyone. Mm -hmm. That was my, my main thing. How, how was it for you, the, the experience of both topic and, and dynamic? It was
0: great to work with you, and I agree that it was a little bit like, yes, we've done lots of this before, but it was podcasts. I think the main mm-hmm. thing for me with the loneliness topic is um, noticing how it can be uncomfortable just to talk about it, even if it's other people's loneliness. I think as soon as we start to have some empathy for even a fictional person, a fictional employee and their loneliness, it feels quite rough to think about that, right?
1: Yeah. And I think also because I imagine everyone has experienced loneliness at some point. It might not be that they've experienced it in the workplace or in the context that we're talking about. But I think, yes, the empathy element, it's very quickly to yeah, just just go there. And also I think because we might not well, I'm definitely not used to either exploring the topic or supporting someone with it. So that also brings up discomfort in myself, even hearing about someone else going, what could I, I don't know. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I think there's also something there.
0: It has come up for me in coaching quite a bit over the last two years. And, you know, there is that stigma. Um, People feel very, very uncomfortable talking about it as if it's their fault rather than circumstances and all of the the lockdown and all of that stuff. So it's a challenging topic, but I I 100% feel it's an important and worthwhile topic to address with organizations. So last episode... Uh, we looked at the concept of psychological safety, a little bit related, um, you know, mm. about, about connection and um, how it's important in the workplace and, and in teams. And we looked at some of those things that um, can maybe get in the way of team members Feeling that there's a level of psychological safety. So that was episode 101. Um, Really useful if you want to have a listen to that uh, with this one, because this time we're going to look at some of the simple ways the team leaders and organizational leaders, you know, anyone who has responsibility for other people, basically, how they can create a culture and environment where psychological safety is possible. I think one of the most important things is that we don't do it to other people, like many of the topics we talk about. We don't do psychological safety, but we behave in a way so that other people can experience it. And that's um, maybe frustrating for some people, but it's an influencing thing rather than something we control. Um, Before we dive in, was there anything you wanted to reflect on from, from last time, Pilar?
1: Uh, Yes. And even before that, I was thinking that even just going back to the topic of loneliness, how important psychological safety is in a team to be able to even start having those uncomfortable conversations uh, around loneliness. And then more specifically about the last episode that we did, for me, it was thinking about what the difference between trust and psychological safety is and how there can be trust between individuals but not a feeling that we're safe in the group to to speak and how important understanding those dynamics can be.
0: Absolutely. And as we said, they're often conflated or used interchangeably. I think the big takeaway for me was that it's not always about – I think this is important as well – it's not always about that sort of fear-based or anxiety-based I-don't-feel-that-I-am-safe-to-speak-of – Sometimes it can manifest as, oh, it's just not worth a hassle to raise this, you know? So don't, everyone listening to this, don't always think it, it is an anxiety-based thing as much as it is, look, what's going to happen when I speak up? And is it worthwhile me doing that? Um, and that can manifest maybe as a kind of a jaded um, or frustrated attitude rather than one that's rooted in fear. So this quite a few things that managers can do to contribute to cultivating psychological safety in the workplace. Um, we'll go through them, there's no particular order, but I think if you're listening to this out of a particular interest, if you are a team leader or a manager, I think it'd be really good for you to reflect as to whether you do these things already or the extent to which you do them. And if not, uh, what could you do to make a start on introducing these things into the team environment? One of the first things is this distinction between uh, a learning orientation versus a punishment orientation. So, you know, when, we, um, when something does go wrong, exploring it as an opportunity to learn from that and ensure it doesn't happen again, rather than the first response being, whose fault is this and how can they uh, be punished appropriately for this? And they're very, very different perspectives on the same uh, challenge. And of course, you know, if you make a mistake and the environment where you work in is is very much all about punishment, then you're going to be less likely to put your hand up and admit to that mistake. Where, of course, if it's a learning orientation, it may be more of a collective discussion about this thing happened. How can we learn from how this thing happened and maybe improve things or at least explore this until we're satisfied? It won't happen in this way. Again, two very, very different perspectives. So as you listen to this, do you have opportunities? Uh, I think most teams will have opportunities to explore errors uh, or uh, setbacks and difficulties. So thinking rather than who's to blame, rather what's the root cause? And of course, as we know from human error, it's never one thing. It's going to be a combination of factors. So maybe broadening that perspective from the person to blame out to what are the factors in the workplace that could have contributed to this happening. Does that distinction make sense to you, Pilar?
1: Completely. And I think if we're looking at a learning orientation and developing that mindset as well, also bringing to the table the things we're doing well and why they worked. So having that conversation around the things that are going great. And also because sometimes sometimes it it might feel sometimes uncomfortable to unpick why something was so great, (laughs) because we might not be used to, it might feel like we're blowing our our own trumpet. So Mm. I think that, picking why things are working can also help us then have the conversation of why things are not working.
0: Absolutely, both equally important. And what jumps out for me when talking about this topic in particular is the importance of manager behavior, you know, what's visible to others. When you get bad news, when you hear about um, something like something going wrong, whatever that is in your context, what's your first response? You know, what is it that you you reach out to do, and what do people see you doing? And if it's a remote team, for example, what are you writing or saying in a in a video meeting? Um, it's it's really important. Role modeling is super important here. The the second point is about cultivating positive relationships, and this is not uh, being friends with everyone. This is about cultivating relationships so that communication channels are open. And of course, um, this is about managing individuals as they are individuals and remaining an accessible manager, an accessible team leader. So that, well, let me give an example. You know, if the only time you hear from your manager is when something goes wrong, you'll associate that relationship with errors and punishments and so on. Whereas if you've got an ongoing, good quality relationship, then that will contribute to you feeling that it's safe. To speak up, and of course, you know, talking about this in December 2021, lots of people working away from a shared physical workspace. You know, what does that remote working mean for uh, cultivating positive relationships? A lot of the pushback I get is that it's so difficult uh, when you're not in the same office; you don't have those accidental coffee machine water fountain conversations. But, Pilar, what what can people do?
1: It is harder because we have to be more deliberate around the whole thing. And so it takes a little bit more energy. And again, it's, I, th- I see two things from the manager's point of view. It's that accessibility really communicating very specific availability, because I have heard, well, they know my door is always open. It's, yeah, but they can't see. And therefore there's a doubt of whether they might be interrupting, et cetera, so Making, even saying on Wednesday mornings between 9 and 12, I am there for the team, so pop in. I mean, we we probably want to have have that uh, more times during the week, but also accept emergencies. But really saying at this time, I will be in this meeting or I'll be waiting on the phone for anyone to pop in. And the other thing is uh, to be very deliberate on when we reach out to your point of what we don't want is that people only hear from us when things have gone wrong. We might forget when things are going well to connect. So maybe putting it in the diary even. So I think it's, it's that concept of planning and being deliberate for it. It's not going to happen by
0: chance. Absolutely. I've, I've been working with teams over the last year um, on the topic of, you know, good quality relationship management while working in this this way that is strange in adverted commas for them it's unusual for them to do this and the deliberate intentional piece is very important there and i've put it to people that it's almost like customer relationship management you don't assume the customer thinks everything is fine you touch base with them regularly to keep the relationship going and one of the pitfalls that that can you know we can all fall prey to is imagining the other person's point of view in an in a overly positive way. Well, it, it seems like everything's fine with them. I don't need to talk to them. I need to talk to the person w- for whom life is more difficult or they're causing me stress at the moment. The good performers or the happy people, they're fine. And of course, that's not sustainable, right? We need to manage the individuals and we need to let them know they're valued as well. And I've seen a few examples recently of people you know, happy, uh, motivated, high-performing people feeling a little bit snubbed because their manager has said uh, unintentionally, "Listen, I need to cut our one-to-one short again because I've got this other thing that's important to do." And that sort of leaves a message that you're you're low maintenance and you're not causing many problems. But that's not the purpose of these conversations, is it?
1: <laughs> yeah, and going back to your other point about the learning orientation. Those again, even the people who are not who are who look like they're on track, they also need to be continuously reflecting and learning. So, I think you might be cutting short that time, which then leads to to everything
0: else yeah i'm going to do a little plug at this point uh for a video i put up on the work life psych youtube channel which i have to say was gathering dust for quite some time but i did a little it's three minutes on how to review your working week look back at the week before the weekend and this reflection is so important and managers can do this to to enable them to jump into the following week in a proactive, deliberate way with who do I need to touch base with? Who do I need to give feedback to? Who have I not heard from in a little while? And just keep the focus on relationship management as an ongoing area of focus and not simply tasks. Now, the next one is really tough. And I've talked about this with clients in very, very challenging contexts, by which I mean errors are problematic. And, and this is the, the whole concept of destigmatizing errors, which means let's make errors something that, that we can and we must talk about. That's all destigmatizing means. We need to be able to talk about them. It doesn't mean... Errors are fine. Standards have dropped. We don't care anymore. It means we need to know about them and we need to be able to talk openly about them so that we can learn from them. Now, again, leadership role modeling is so important here. When there are mistakes, what is your response? How do you behave to to people? Do you go straight for the the blame uh, storming? Do you associate it with a person or are you thinking more systemically? And are you able to look at the error as, and this is a point I've made in a few environments, it hasn't always gone down well, I have to uh, admit, but error is part of work. Because if the work is being done by humans, they're not machines, they will make mistakes they have good days they have bad days they have days plr when they've had less sleep for example (laughs) Uh, they have days when you know they've got personal issues going on or they're dealing with an, an insane amount of workload so of course errors will happen what we do and how we deal with them is going to play a huge role in other people's estimation of psychological safety
1: and this is, I think, a point where it's actually sometimes beneficial to be working away from each other. <laughs> if you find out about something when you don't have people around you so that you can just react how you need to react and then check in with yourself and see, okay, well, what do I do with this? Um, yes. I always wonder whether sometimes, you know, I get an email or I see something like, oh! <laughs> ah, yeah. and I was wonder if I was with someone next to me, I would really have to pull back. Uh, so I think that yeah, that self awareness is so important.
0: Many years ago, I was working in a uh, shared working space, um, one of those mm-hmm. hot tasking environments, and um, on a monthly basis. And I just remember one afternoon meeting so many people that I'd never met before because we bonded over our shared horror at how one person was behaving in this open space. They oh. were just letting rip at every email, you know, oh, oh. verbally. Uh, You know, they didn't have any colleagues around them. It was all just coming out of them. And I thought, what would it be like if you were in the room with these people? What would they think? Uh, but I'm reminded as well of, and I, I'm sure someone out there will correct me, but one of the Spider-Man films, or Spider-Man films, um, there's a great scene in the newspaper offices where everyone in the open plan environment looks up as the editor in the glass walled office absolutely loses it, and you can't hear what he's saying, but you can hear him shouting, and it, you know, it, it's both funny, but also. Mm, How many people have that experience? And then do the mental calculation of, I'll keep my head down. Yeah. The next is for managers to do something really important and really simple, which is to appreciate people's contributions. And specifically in this context, it's their contributions when they are suggesting things. Um, this is to not uh, shoot down people's ideas immediately, You know, even if they are unworkable and totally impractical. What we're trying to do here is let people know that it's safe to make suggestions. And then what we do with those suggestions is another piece. But letting people know that you are grateful that they've taken the time to have a think about things and come up with an idea. It doesn't have to be something that's implemented. And so thinking um our listeners can think well when i do get suggestions from team members what do i do with them and do i deal with them as some people do as hassle no this is something i you know i don't need this or do i look at it as this is evidence that someone is thinking outside the box or can be bothered to think beyond their own role maybe they haven't got the experience or the big picture knowledge to make this suggestion work but it it points to something important doesn't it
1: yeah. And I think that's a really good point to be thinking not for the suggestion itself, but for the act of suggesting, mm-hmm. because I think it's a huge difference. And and I, I'm also thinking that this is another thing where we might need to plan in advance almost. It, I mean, it really depends, but I'm thinking we can we can think about what happens with suggestions. Like if something is suggested at a time when it's not, Um, the best time to suggest it. What do we do with that suggestion as well? So, you know, can we, have we got a space in the team where we can share it or have we got time in meetings where we just do random bits of improvement? I don't know. I think it's worth also thinking about that. What do we do with the suggestions that cannot be acted upon at that moment Mm -hmm. or that Need evaluating at a longer term.
0: You, you, absolutely, we need something in place that allows us to maybe have a backlog of we might do these next year, or we might do these when we've got more budget, or we might do these when we're a bigger team. But we're saying, hey, mm. it's a little bit like thank you for that piece of art. I'm going to put it on the fridge for a few weeks mm. to thank you for making me this this painting. Um, it, it's it's acknowledging the act and saying we'll look at the practicalities of this as a separate thing. That's really important.
1: And another thing I'm thinking, I don't know what you think of this, Richard, is that sometimes most suggestions are okay, but we can only go with one. So I think that that's also an an important thing to reflect on is that sometimes, well, maybe also if you're a manager, you you might decide, well, actually, let me run with this suggestion or or today we're going to go with the most popular. But that space that actually at some point, yeah, Lots of stuff could work, but we've just got to go with one as well.
0: Absolutely. It's always going to be contextually driven. What we're looking for here is team members feeling uh, safe enough to make those suggestions in the first place. And how you handle those suggestions could encourage them to go away and have a think and come back with something more practical rather than, again, what's the point? It's not worth the hassle if I come up with ideas. Now, a big pushback I've encountered when talking about psychological safety is um, standards. um, Standards of work and hard work and psychological safety being viewed as something soft and uh, avoiding difficult conversations. And what we really need to do here is underline the importance of accountability. Where we've got psychological safety and we're emphasizing individuals' accountability for things then people are in a great place because they know they can speak openly and they know what they're there to do which is very different to we have the psychological safety but we have a kind of a diffusion of responsibility and accountability it's all a bit vague and so you might not see the output from me uh, as a result or if we've got a lot of accountability but no psychological safety that could be a little bit stressful a little bit a little bit anxiety inducing
1: and I can see how some of what we were talking about earlier can, gets pulled into this as well. So we might uh, spot an error or something that needs um, uh, improvement. And actually, maybe we want to take the responsibility for driving that through as well as raising it. Or like you're saying, uh, or suggestions as well, where we're not just feeling free to put suggestions there, but we also know that we will have to play a role. In, in that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really important.
0: Absolutely. This ownership piece is very, very key. <music> and the, f- the final point I'd flag today is the importance of context and People understanding the bigger picture around what we're here to do and also the interdependence that is inherent to most work. That could be how we as members of the team are interdependent. We cannot be successful alone. Or it could be how our different teams or functions are interdependent, how we interact. And that really helps people see beyond their task in front of them, but gets them thinking about we instead of I. And also the importance of um, all those other things we, we spoke about, errors, issues, risks, because you're thinking bigger picture. You're not just thinking about what's in my inbox today and how can, I, how can I make my life quieter today? You're thinking, oh, this will impact them, them, and them. And it might impact next quarter's targets. And I'm thinking about the bigger picture. So I'm going to talk about it.
1: Information always uh, helps us to feel safer i think if, as well if we if we if we feel like we know the context we're operating in and also if we have the information and if we know how we're affecting others as well, I think that always helps us to 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 vocalize what we're feeling or what we're thinking
0: well, as we've seen over the last two years where there is lots and lots of ambiguity, it can cause us to feel uncertain and anxious Um, Mm. if there's too too much stuff floating around and uh, undecided and you know all all of that um, societal contextual stuff we've had to deal with and at the team level the more we can fill in the blanks yes the more people know what they're dealing with and the when and the what and all, all of that good stuff but again me search not research but working with teams i continually find that managers fall into the trap of assuming everyone gets that because we spoke about it last year yeah but do you think they still remember that big picture stuff have you revisited the context have you revisited the mission or um how you're going to work with these other teams this is stuff that can i'm gonna say never be repeated too much because ideally every team member will have this front of mind when they're making decisions what are we here to do where are we headed how do we want to do it that stuff managers really need to hammer home on a regular basis so we would love to hear from our listeners about this topic um you know, where do you work and how would you rate the psychological safety in your team? And of course, you can keep that anonymous. Um, but what have you done maybe to improve it? Um, have you been working on this topic? Maybe, as we said last time, maybe you didn't know what it was called, but you had a sense that something was missing. And as a team leader, you've put some time into work on these things. Are there aspects of building psychological safety that you're finding particularly difficult? We'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch on Twitter at MyPocketPsych, sending us an email, podcast at worklifepsych.com, or you can leave us a voicemail and there'll be a link to that in the show notes. PLR, as we wrap up, any final thoughts on this second of two um, episodes about psychological safety?
1: Only that uh, it made me think things I hadn't thought before. So thank you, Richard. Thank you, listeners, for being there to prompt us to have these uh, kind of conversations. Well,
0: that's literally what we're here for, isn't it? And I, I want to pat myself on the back that unlike every webinar and workshop on the topic that I've run in the last two years, I didn't once say psychological flexibility instead of psychological <laughs> safety, which is something I seem to do every time. So anyway, um, please get in touch with those questions, those feedback. and. Um, of course any thoughts as we come to the end of this calendar year 2021 uh any suggestions for things you'd like us to cover and discuss in 2022 i can't believe we're nearly there but uh, we'd love to hear what you'd be interested in hearing from um so as ever thank you for listening downloading this episode of my pocket psych to get in touch with questions and feedback you can tweet us at work psych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifesight.com contact thanks for listening